Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Seitz. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Seitz, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Guardian Test Prep, an NREMT test prep company that specializes in helping EMT and paramedic students pass their national registry exam. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Well, the weather outside is frightful, and today we're talking about cold emergencies. Wouldn't that have been good if we did this in December? Yeah, what? it's still cold out here. Yeah, but you can't really say the weather outside is frightful. Actually, that song doesn't have anything to do with Christmas time. That's true. Isn't that the rapey one? No, that's the, I really can't stay, oh, yeah, honey, yeah. take your pants off right now. No, the, yeah. I don't want to, you got to take your pants off right now. That's all. <laughs> okay. All right, just checking. Anyway. All right. Well, anyway, welcome to uh, the Back to Basics podcast uh, hosted by Guardian Test Prep. Uh, we are talking about cold emergencies today. And actually, when I first read the title, I thought to my, I got really frustrated as an ER physician. And I'm like, how many times? Do people have to understand that a cold is not an emergency? But then I realized that we were talking about temperature. And <laughs> Are like, you serious? Yeah, I did. I was, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Stop I'm not going to talk about how people's colds, they're not an emergency. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about cold emergencies, meaning like hypothermia. Yeah. Yeah. Low temperature. Low temperature. We do have a sponsor today. So our sponsor today is CPR Enroll. So if you are a... Uh, AHA, American Red Cross, American Safety and Health Institute instructor, and you put on classes and things like that, uh, CPR Enroll is an extremely robust, inexpensive uh, class management system. Helps you get your people signed up, helps you schedule your classes, manage paperwork, uh, manage your client list, send out emails, um, receive payment. I mean, just everything you could need to do to manage your classes. So check that out at CPRenroll.com. Uh, we appreciate them sponsoring this this podcast today. But if you want a CE for this podcast, oh, yes. go ahead and check out www.guardiancme.com and you'll get a free CE for watching this podcast and taking a short quiz. Yep. If you want more CEs, if you want to watch other podcasts or other educational videos and get CEs, if you're Amanda and you want to take 40 CEs in the first week of the program <laughs> launching... And costed me a decent amount of money. You can do that. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. No, no I'm we, just kidding. No, we're happy for you to take care of all of your CEs through us. Check out www.guardiancme.com. Completely free. You get a CAPC credit. It'll work with any state. You can submit that to your state and uh, and relicense. Yeah. Awesome. So you might as well, if you're listening to us anyway, get get a free CE out of it. I agree. Uh, and tell your friends. So. All right, Amanda. cool. Amanda. Share the load, Amanda. <laughs> all right. Well, again, today we're going to talk about cold emergencies. So when... We think about cold emergencies, the first thing we're, and we're going to talk about the first snow. thing is not snow. We're going to talk about hypothermia. So I want to define, I want to talk about hypothermia. I want to talk about what hypothermia is. There's actually different levels of hypothermia, which like I didn't actually know for a while. Um, how do we treat hypothermia? Uh, and then I also want to talk about frostbite and frost nip. We're not supposed to talk. You told me I can't talk about nips. It is a different, different context. <laughs> okay. But anyway, we're talking about frostbite and frost nip. So. Actually, it is like so. It is winter here in Michigan. I don't know where you're listening to this podcast. I know some people. Or when? Because be twenty years in the future when the twenty the oceans, years in the future the oceans have dried up, <laughs> and they'll be like, "What is this cold emergency? Yeah, what global is warming what is cold? has changed." Like, yeah, there's generations of people listening to this podcast in the future. Oh, the before four times, you know, something <laughs> like that. That's true. Okay, fair enough. Do I have to talk about cold? I'm, sorry, is I'm, that? I'm, in a, I'm in a mood today. Clearly, <laughs> I'll just let you. Okay, go ahead. Hypothermia, okay, now, frost nip, frostbite. Now I'm thinking I have to describe what cold is so that people who, who live in this. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic global warming, if they're listening to this podcast. Okay. Anyway, 
So we live in Michigan. It is cold here. It is snowing. And we actually do see hypothermia and, and the associated problems of hypothermia uh, quite a bit in our emergency departments. You do it in, uh, in the field and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's important to talk about. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about is basically like, what is hypothermia? Being cold. Not just being cold. So when we talk about hypothermia, what we're really focusing in on is our core body temperature, right? So our core body temperature, I mean, like we self-regulate, we, um, you know, keep ourselves at a certain temperature so our organs can function in in the right way, so the blood flows correctly, all that good stuff. And we shunt blood here and there as we warm up and make older. Hypothermia is basically when your core body temperature drops below a certain number. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that number is? 90. Five. You wouldn't let me finish. Oh, sorry. Five. (laughs) (laughs) So anything below 95 degrees Fahrenheit, which is... Core body, though. So if you... Core body, If you get a reading somewhere else, it could be different. True. True. Like, if you're getting a tympanic reading, it's not your core body temperature. No. The best is rectal. Best is rectal. And really, the only way we can get a true core body temperature is, like, oral or rectal. Gotta get up there. So... I'm just going to do this one by myself. Can we just turn right, his yeah, mic no. off? <laughs> no, so, so anyway, so hypothermia is defined as core body temperature less than 95 degrees Fahrenheit or less than 35 degrees Celsius. Oh, I was just going to be like, and what is that Celsius? Not thinking you had it in the notes. Oh, yeah, I have it in the notes. It would have been I didn't do that math in my head. I have it in the notes good. right here. Yeah. Um, Celsius, for those of you who don't know, is a weird unit of measurement that other countries use. <laughs> <laughs> true um it's a very american thing to say um so anyway so there's different levels of hypothermia and different things happen at different levels of hypothermia which i kind of i think is important to talk about Mm -hmm. so really what we have is um and as we talk about these different levels i think we should talk about well actually before we talk about the different levels let's talk about kind of the pathophysiology of what's happening within our bodies when we're suffering from hypothermia so our body kicks on some compensatory mechanisms in order to try to warm itself back up Correct. Right. Right. So the first thing that would happen would be you'd have an increased metabolism. Right. So if we can speed up, remember metabolism is how the cell itself is working, how fast and effectively it's working. Mm. If the cell can speed up, you'll raise your core temperature. Right. Just like, just like if you're, that's why sometimes you have a fever when you're fighting an infection, your metabolism is increased because you're actively fighting an infection that can raise your temperature. Also though, you know, don't forget that the reason you get a fever a lot of times is because you have cells that are activating the temperature to go up through increased metabolism in order to burn that that disease out. You right, know, right, an exactly. Yeah. That it can't survive in. So yeah, it's a little and, different. But same kinds of way, we're changed. The core body temperature is changed, which is why a lot of people say we shouldn't treat fevers because it's like it is your body's compensatory mechanism yeah. to fight off infection. But in this case, we're talking about temperatures, you know, that fall below not core body temperature. This is not like it's less than 95 degrees outside. Right. That would not be, that would actually be a very hot day. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about core body temperature. So when the core body temperature falls below 35 degrees Celsius or 95 degrees Fahrenheit, again, our metabolism increases essentially to create energy, which energy is when, when you create energy, you create heat, right? Every, every exothermic response. Exactly. So we're going to create heat to try to warm ourselves back up. The other thing our body's going to do is it's going to shunt blood from our periphery to our core. So by, right? con- by vasoconstriction. So if you've ever seen Batman Begins, when he's fighting Ra's al Ghul on the ice. Where is no, this going? No, it's okay, g- no, go ahead. Just give me a second. Okay, well, you've you ever I seen see Batman it. Begins, he's fighting Ra's al Ghul, he's training, mm-hmm. fighting Ra's al Ghul, who's the guy who plays Qui-Gon Jinn. It's, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm getting, 
Liam Neeson. Neeson. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Jamie, the filmmaker. (laughs) (laughs) Liam Uh, Neeson. So Liam Neeson, he's like, Christian Bale's fighting Liam Neeson. It's Basil Ghoul. They're they're training. And he's all like, I got you. And he's like, you idiot. You sacrificed your footing for a killing blow because you never understand your environment. Later, Batman does understand his environment. Wait till the end of the movie. I won't spoil it for you. He hits with his sword on the ground. Christian Bale goes into the cold water. And then it quickly cuts to they're trying to warm up by the fire. Christian Bale, Batman, Bruce Wayne is rubbing his arms and Qui-Gon Jinn. No, I'm sorry, not Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> Ra's al Ghul. Wouldn't that be cool? Ra's al Ghul says, don't worry about your arms. Your arms will take care of themselves. Rub your chest. Right. Because he recognizes the importance of raising your core body temperature by shunting blood to the core. He knows that those arms are going to have vasoconstriction, push blood to the core. If we can warm the core up, everything else is going to work. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, remember earlier when you thought that that was a bad example? <laughs> yes. I apologize. I okay. apologize for everything that happened before this, this moment. So, right, we're going to purposely shunt blood from the periphery to the core, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to increase metabolism. Yep. So muscle tone will increase. Muscle tone will begin to increase. So this is as we continue to get colder, right? So what happens if that doesn't work, right? So now the next step in that process of the pathophysiology of hypothermia is then we're going to start to see, again, our muscle tone increasing. And then what else are we going to see start to begin? Shivering. Shivering, right? And again, it's our body's way of creating motion, which creates heat. It's such a good vibration. <laughs> you break out the song right now. I'll do it. I'll do it. All right. So as we get colder, as things as 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 the core body temperature does not raise, and we get colder, and again, this is the pathophysiology of hypothermia. When like what our body does, like our, our body, response, our response, our response to hypothermia. Our body typically, unless we're moved into a new environment, these mechanisms won't work. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say, I guess, like. Like, I don't want you to think that, like, I'm telling you, like, oh, and you're just going to keep getting colder. Like, why is the body trying if it never can, if it never works? It works to a degree, but if you stay in that cold environment and that temperature, and you know what I mean? It's going to continue to go down. Are you so you're scientifically explaining that if you stay in a cold environment, you'll get colder? Well, I'm saying, like, we're talking about body's response and mechanisms. So like, you're just saying, like, it will never, okay. What you're saying is, let's say muscle tone increases and we start to shiver, we're not just now going to permanently be able to exist at this temp- at this environmental temperature. Right. Like it will get worse the longer. Yeah. The okay, outside temperature does not need for us to, to get continued colder for us to start getting colder and these yeah. mechanisms not to work. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah I really just think confusing. it was unnecessary. <laughs> okay. Fair. All right. I mean, anyway. I okay. Think. Anyway, what happens next once, after shivering? Sure. Okay. So once we shiver and we start to continue to get colder from our core body temperature, we actually start to deplete our glucose and glycogen stores. Which makes sense because we talked about an increase in metabolism, right? It's energy. Yeah. It's energy. What, do we, what does the body use to make ATP and energy and thus heat? Glucose, right? Sugar. So we deplete our glucose and our glycogen. So this is really important to know this pathophysiology because a lot of times, and we see this all the time in people who come in who are like extremely hypothermic, maybe they're in cardiac arrest even, their glucose levels are way too low. You can't get someone back with C, you know, CPR if, if you don't also address that problem. Okay. What are you laughing about? No, I just I was gonna I was gonna be like, I just remember if you move to a warm environment, your body will start to warm up. <laughs> that's basically what I was saying in a complicated well, way. I know, I know. I don't yeah, know. so that's the thing is it we, we can treat the hypothermia and, and handle the, the body temperature and raise that body temperature, but now we have depleted glucose stores. Right, so we yeah. need to consider in the same way that we worry about depleted glucose did I say scores? What depleted glucose levels. levels yeah. Um with, with like if someone has a seizure, right? Because the sure. brain burns up a lot of that sugar. So just yeah. just considerations we need to make. A lot of these body systems are working together, so we need to 
And this is like, it, it's very simple. But again, this is one of the like the reasons this podcast, like we have for the back to basics, like you forget that sometimes. Yeah. Right. Like if you if you can link, oh, metabolism, increased heat production. What do I need for metabolism? Glucose. Of course, I won't have glucose. Then you never forget that, like, I got to check a glucose on my hypothermic patients yeah. because you understand the why behind it, which yeah. I, I think is exciting. And it's um, taking it. I, I would say it's more advanced than just a basic. Le- I mean, like you're taking it one step further. It's not right. We're not saying like, hey, you're freezing cold out here. Like, here's a popsicle. Your sugar is better. Now everything will be fine. Right? <laughs> right. We're saying like after we've done the initial treatment, we've done mm. the basics. Now we can think just one step further and go, okay, right. Let's take care of the glucose. Too. Exactly. Exactly. So then if we continue to get even colder than that, shivering stops. So basically this is our decompensation, decompensation, right? Like we can't shiver anymore. Then we start to like core body temperature. Like we've been maintaining as best we can trying to get back up there. Now it starts to like go down rapidly. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to start rapidly declining, you know, you're even in mild forms of hypothermia, you might start seeing some altered mental status, which again makes sense. What does the brain use? Glucose, Sugar. right? Yeah. Where yeah. if we use up our glucose stores to like shiver into these things, like we're gonna have some, you know, you know, uh mental status change. We can start to go into arrhythmias and things like that. It's exhaustion. I mean, you're yeah. exhausted because because your energy stores are being burned. Exactly, exactly. So there are actually like three different and I think it's, you know, I think when we think about this continuum, it, that's the way we should be in medicine considering different processes, right? Like, um, you know, levels of altered mental status. Like, we, we like to, like, put things into c- categories yeah. of, like, like, and we're about to do that with hypothermia. Definitive ranges versus, yeah. you know, versus, understanding. Yeah, understanding that it's a continuum, right? And yeah. anybody can fall within the continuum. But we can, you know, like I said in the textbook, break hypothermia up into three different um, ranges, basically. So do you want to go over those quick? Like, yeah, there's mild, moderate, and severe. Right. Why don't you so give mild, the temperature? Mild rate? is 95 to 93. Yep. I'm just reading in a form right now. I don't know this off the top of my head. Moderate <laughs> is less than 93. And I guess 286.4. And then severe would be less yeah. than 86.4. Yeah. 86.4. Holy cow. Right. Though. That's right. a huge range. Yeah. So again, the mild hypothermia. The two degrees. The, sec- right. the third one is... Yeah. I don't know. You do the math. 80, 93 minus 86 is at least 15. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Math's not a strong suit. But yeah, so you've got mild, moderate, and, and severe. And again, I don't think there's anything, there's any need to necessarily memorize these. I think that like for like test taking purposes, maybe you can remember them. But you, again, like again, think of it as a continuum. But you have mild, which is 95 to 93 degrees. So anything less than 95 degrees is mild. Once you get below 93 degrees, it's moderate. When you get below 86.4, it's severe. How they got 93 as like a round number 95 and then 86.4, I don't really know. know. But it probably from further research, if one of our listeners knows, please let us know. It probably has something to do with when your body stops certain mechanisms, right? Like when you stop shivering and things like that. They're like 86.3, no one has survived that condition. Well, right. I think you start, I think, and and I'd have to look this up, so don't quote me on this, but... I think you stop shivering around the 93. So in the moderate range is when you start seeing like that makes sense. The, the shivering gotcha. severe hypothermia. I mean, these people are comatose. Yeah. They have, you know, arrhythmias, maybe going to cardiac arrest, things like that. Well, Maybe let's go over that because yeah. I think instead of memorizing like a temperature range, like let's talk about symptomology, symptomatology right? and treatment based on the symptomatology. Yeah. yeah I, like, I it. like it. So for mild, um, in the mild range, you're going to see kind of that, again, that increased metabolism, shivering, maybe a little bit of confusion and things like that. Um, and that's where you're going to, that, that's kind of like the main thing you see in the mild, in the mild range. So what are we going to do about it? 
So there's different rewarming techniques that we'll talk about. But the most important thing is what? Rewarming them. Heat. Well, but we talked about it earlier. The environment. Yes. Take them out of the bad exactly, environment. Exactly. Right. I see it. It all comes full circle. <laughs> that nonsense makes sense. Exactly. Now. Right. No, okay. I got you. But yeah, yeah so what take them the out of the cold environment. Thing stop, take them out. stop the bad stuff, right? It's just like we put out the fire is the safest thing we do in, in the fire department, right? right? It's not necessarily just like treating the person who's actively burning, right? Right. Yeah. Put the fire out, right? So take them out of the environment, remove them from that environment. Um, remove anything that would be causing. So if they have wet clothes, yeah. you know, we're going to remove those wet clothes because obviously water is going to, is it 25 times faster than air? I that think you, so. that, like that. That water sucks heat up. So we're going to remove wet clothing and things like that. And then we're going to work on what we would refer to as passive rewarming. And this would be like changing the heat of like turning on the heat in the ambulance. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And actually that even might be considered like an external like rewarm. I think passive rewarming is basically like let the body do its thing now. Right. Like, really? oh, okay. yeah, but no, again, like getting in a warm environment, yeah. like getting them out of wet clothes, putting on like a blanket, like that's, I mean, don't not turn on the heat in the ambulance. You're like, <laughs> you know what? No, this is only mild. <laughs> no, 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 I agree. But your body will take care of itself. Same kind of thing. Like, like these general kind of passive ways to, you know, we're gotcha. not like actively engaging with the rewarming. Gotcha. In that, gotcha. in that thing. Um, and the other thing, again, the, the, the important part to differentiate mild from moderate is that shivering component. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when we get to moderates, now when we get to temperatures like core body temperature below 93 degrees or 34 Celsius, mm-hmm. um, now we need to start worrying about like shivering stopping, that increased tone, glucose and glycogen stores depleting. So when you see someone who's not shivering, their core body temperature is less than 93 or less than 34 if you're talking about Celsius, like we need to probably check a glucose. Another thing... Um, is that they say now is the now is the point where we have to start monitoring the, the ABCs. Not that we shouldn't always be monitoring ABCs, right? But like now is where we might see like you know respiratory issues, like up to failure. Like we might need to take yeah. aggressive action, right? Exactly. Yeah, we yeah. may need to intubate a patient if they're too unresponsive and the GCS is too low, things like that. Um, we actually want to prevent movement in this range, which is something kind of crazy that I like. I read about. It. They're like, don't let the patient get up and walk around because the heart is very like sensitive at these low temperature range and they can literally go into VFib. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. It's so, just conserving the energy so that we can run the basic systems. Exactly. Of- yeah. You don't want them to exert energy doing anything because again, their glucose, their glycogen is depleted. They don't have the ability to increase metabolism. What that's going to do is potentially throw them into arrhythmias and things Yeah, because the body can't handle it. Cool. Um, so obviously we're going to monitor the EKG at that point to see if they go into one. Yeah. We're going to be reassessing their mental status uh, as we try to rewarm them. And now we're going to be doing more passive and external rewarming. So this so, is like heat packs in the in the armpits and the groin area. You know, areas that are vascular and near the core. We can start warming that up. So crank the heat in the ambulance. Heat packs in the groin area, like on the thighs and then in the in the armpits. I'm yeah. trying to think, isn't there a back of the neck is a popular neck, one yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, sometimes like in the hospital, we have these like bear huggers, which is basically just like hot air over their whole body. But again, focusing it on the core, right? Like warming up their arms or their hands is like, not, like that's not going to help, right? We're warming up their core. So do you guys have those like blank, like those heat blanket things that? Uh, no, we just, really. we just do hot packs and okay. we just have lots of normal blankets, blankets but, and cream. I mean, lots of places and, have heated yeah. blankets. I mean, do you do the that? ER, the ER certainly has. Yeah. We have blankets. a lot. I mean, yeah. like we'll do like share body heat. You know, I'll do that a lot of time with patients. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh God, no. <laughs> um, but no. So now again, we we're have, taking so more. We have like warming 
we can do warm IV fluids. I was going to say that too. Yeah. yeah. So this is probably the stage two where like we're putting an IV in, especially if we're worried about ABCs anyway. That would be active rewarming. And right. it's a little bit more invasive than just external. Right. That's internal, obviously. So yeah. So there's two different, like, I guess we can talk about rewarming techniques. We, we have like passive and like active rewarming. Mm-hmm. And then like a passive technique can be like external rewarming. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's well, like so kind of. Yeah. Passive is just essentially changing the environment. Uh, outside active, active would be changing them right yeah. and then external would be would be defining yeah. what, what type of active or passive we're doing so we'll actually sometimes in the er like i've done like so if we had a patient who was in cardiac arrest we got the pulse back but their temperature was still super low like and like like 90 range like very very cold like mm-hmm. i think you like came in like 88 or something like that wow so we were doing CPR. So not only did did we do like the hot packs and that kind of thing, we did IV fluids. We also put in an NG tube and a Foley and flushed warm fluids into oh, the wow. bladder yeah. and the stomach too as a way to like, again, like now we're very much actively. Very warm. active, very internal. Right, right. <laughs> so. And it's hard to snuggle someone naked like that when they have Stop all those it. tubes. Stop. <laughs> Don't it, in this day and age, why would you even make a joke like that? People are going to start shutting you down. All right. All right. Anyway. Uh, so then we move to severe. Next episode, she's going to be like, hey, I'm Jason Sykes with the Back to Basics <laughs> podcast. Chris got canceled. He got so. canceled, yep. Uh, so the last thing is severe uh, hypothermia, which again, now these people are comatose. This, like, is, this is true. Like, if you're thinking of this in terms of like shock, we have comp- compensatory mechanisms, we have compensation. This is true decompensation now. So they're, yeah. they're circling the drain. This is failure. Yeah. This is, oh yeah, yeah. This is complete like yeah. decompensation. Like, so they are, you know, usually comatose. Um, you know, a lot of times they're going to need CPR because their heart is going to stop or go into an arrhythmia. Um, we really have to aggressively treat arrhythmias, uh, which can be difficult because until the body's heated up, it's hard to get, like if I'm pushing medications into the periphery, are they getting to the heart? You know what I mean? Like we, we yeah. you know, we might want to put more like invasive lines in even like, you know, mm-hmm. if you're able to do like an EJ or like those types of things. Um, and then again, a lot of passive external and active, very active rewarming mm-hmm. in this case. Um, but that's one thing. So like from a CPR standpoint, and this is actually something I want to put out to the audience because I couldn't find a lot of data. Maybe I was just looking in the wrong place, but I know that I do this and I know a lot of emergency physicians do this and probably you guys do this in the field as well is that we'll spend more time doing, we'll do CPR for longer knowing that if we can warm them up, we're going to have a better chance. Mm-hmm. So again, at some point your, your metabolism is taxed so much that it completely slows down there's a reason we cool patients after CPR, right? Because we want to keep their body temperature lower, not freezing, but like lower so that they can more gradually like repair their body, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll do CPR for longer in cardiac arrest cases where there's hypothermia involved to see if we can we can warm them up and if that'll help CPR. Do you guys yeah. do that too? Like do you yeah. 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 And like that a lot of that stuff is like cold water drownings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna spend more time because of how the especially like pediatric. And we talked a little bit about that when we talked yeah, about environmental yeah. emergency. I think we did in our diving episode a little bit. I think bit. the diving episode. But like, yeah, the the way that the brain shuts down even like with cold, because it's shutting down gradually, it's not just like turning off oxygen to it. It's like you have a better chance of, yeah. it's not just a better chance of survival. You have a better chance of like um, quality of life afterwards. Yeah. So that's one thing, I, and that's what I want to put to the audience is that I had trouble finding the like data on that. Like, is that something that we do because we, have had Kate like is there like I don't know if have you read like data on like I thought yes so. you know people who are this temperature like how long should be resuscitating them more than I don't know I I've been like I always know I do it longer 
Yeah. And I try to, I'm going to look something up. You're going to look it up. All right. So basically what I'll do is like I said, I will, I will carry on a cardiac arrest longer while I try to rewarm someone uh, because of this data that I think might exist out there that Jason will look up right now. I'm like, here it is. It turns out if you take somebody out of a cold environment, they warm up. I'm like, aha. Facts. (laughs) So anyway, so that is the, again, like the different types of hypothermia. I don't think it's as important to memorize the different types, but I think it's important to realize that there is a continuum and understand what the body is doing as things continue to decompensate. Uh, That, you know, increased metabolism, loss of glucose, you know, shutting down of, you know, that type of thing is all super important to know. Memorizing the actual temperatures. I think you should know that like hypothermia is defined as less than 35 degrees Celsius or less than 95 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, whether you memorize the the uh, ranges for uh, moderate and severe hypothermia, I don't think you, you necessarily need to do that. But just we, didn't, we didn't mention you can you can warm and humidify oxygen. That's going to be the best way of oxygen delivery, just so you know. Very good point. Yeah. So when we talk about that active rewarming technique, another way we can do that is to do that warm humidified oxygen. Um which yeah can absolutely go a long way as well. So so obviously hypothermia is our like biggest, you know, most you know, I guess common topic to talk about within this realm of um cold emergencies. But the other two I want to briefly cover uh, and talk a little bit about their pathophysiology to be able to understand how to treat them and understand what's going on is frostbite and frost nip. All right, I did find something though on hypothermia okay. and cardiac arrest. Let's hear it. According to Goo Ogle. Nope. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, rcemlearning.co.uk. Okay. So these would be people that only understand Celsius. Okay. <laughs> uh, they say primary hypothermic cardiac arrest usually requires severe hypothermia because hypothermia protects the vital organs, including the brain. Like you were talking about, things mm-hmm. shut down, right? The prognosis of primary hypothermic arrest is better than non-hypothermic arrest, especially if the initial insult didn't involve asphyxia. Okay. So if you didn't die from lack of breathing mm-hmm. and you died... And it's cold out, you have a better prognosis. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, it makes sense in terms of like why we cool patients after cardiac arrest as well. So, and actually, the AHA I just saw also has recommendations on like a, a alternate ACLS for hypothermic patients, where it has you checking the body temperature and and really not terminating efforts until either you just can't get the body temperature up, which mm-hmm. I've actually had happen, or you get it above you know a certain number and still don't still get not yeah. So gotcha. cool. Anyway, frost nip and frostbite. Frost nip and frostbite. So. Uh, again, we're kind of talking about a continuum here. So yeah. the first thing is frost nip. So the mm-hmm. first thing that happens to you when you're out in the cold. So this is what's going to happen to exposed parts of your skin, right? You get hard, your fingers. The nip. Wait, what are you talking the about? The nips get hard. Oh, <laughs> no, not, no, okay. no, 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 <laughs> no. So like that, your fingertips, like your earlobes, like exposed, you know, yes. your, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and it, it's frost nip is something that we probably, if you live in a cold environment, you've experienced every year. It's where your tips of your fingers get like red and numb and kind of tingly and burn a little bit and that is a warning sign that like don't keep doing this or you're gonna get frostbite we're basically. cutting out we're cutting off circulation at this yeah, point exactly the, what differentiates frost nip from frostbite is that there's no tissue damage okay there's no tissue loss or tissue damage so frost nip basically you move into a warm environment they say not to like rub your fingers together and stuff though because you as you as your sensation gets diminished you can actually cause trauma if you're not too careful. So you don't know you're hurting yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So move into a warm environment and frost nip is 100% reversible, right? Yeah. The blood flow continues. It goes on. It's, it's basically the difference between ischemia and infarct. We're just not talking about the cardiac yeah. muscle. We're talking about yeah. like, well, even in frost nip, toes. though, there's not really any ischemia happening quite yet. It's more of just like, 
But like the neuropathy of it, like getting the tingling and the sensation was just reversible. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I see see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Frostbite is actual freezing of the tissues. So frostbite, I actually like to think of in terms, it's like a burn. It's just the opposite temperature, right? I mean, like, like there are, there's like, you know, first, second, third degree frostbite where first the tissue gets like, you know, pale, yellow looking, loss in sensation, pain, burning, stinging, tingling. The tissue starts to then get hard. If it, you know, you continue to stay cold, it starts to get more, you know, hard. Um, and then eventually turns cyanotic and harder and you lose. It dies. It dies, basically, yeah, right? So, so with frostbite, essentially to understand the, the pathophysiology behind that freezing of tissues and what happens is basically if you th- what happens is that you form ice crystals in the extravascular space. So in the tissue, you, you, there's like, you know, like ice, ice forms. Your, blood, your blood is freezing. It literally freezes. Well, no, the extravascular space. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah. So outside the blood vessel starts to freeze. Well, when that happens, it causes a fluid shift to occur. So basically, electrolytes move out of the cells because there's more crystal ice water formation in the extravascular space. So they mm-hmm. move out of the cells, which causes cell damage. So you end up getting this like micro and macro vascular changes as well. Like the, the, you almost like get these like little like, you know, you get damage to the vessel membranes, you get damage to the cells themselves, you start spilling potassium and stuff out into the tissue, just like you do in any kind of, you know, like. Well, and, and like in a burn, when you're right. sh- you have fluid shifting in a burn. Right, exactly. Yeah. So in like, you know, in like first degree frostbite, you get that if you rewarm, then what happens is you end up getting swelling which makes sense, right? You, get, you mm-hmm. increase blood flow, you get swelling and you form blisters because all that fluid is extravascular now and you get blisters and that sort of thing. As you move into like second degree, third degree frostbite, now you're talking about that freezing, like now you're talking about even getting down to like the bone where like the tissue is frozen. So now it almost becomes necrotic, right? Mm-hmm. There, you can't, you know, you try to rewarm it and blood flow can't get to the area because it's been completely damaged. And that's where we're talking like amputation and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And just like burns frostbite, you have to be very careful of like circumferential frostbite. Like Mm -hmm. now obviously like frostbite is frostbite. So, but if you just the pads of your fingers are frostbit, you actually are potentially have a better outcome than if like your entire finger is frostbit because Mm -hmm. it's that same kind of, Anything Circum- downstream, you're cutting off with a band. It's like a tourniquet. It's like a tourniquet, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. The, the, that tissue gets hard and necrotic. Well, then it constricts, and now you can have worsening ischemia and that sort of thing. So, treatment for frostbite then basically is similar to what we talked about with hypothermia. One is remove, right? Remove the patient right. from the environment, um, and then start doing some like more active rewarming. Would be soaking their like finger. I use the fingers as an example, but soaking it in like lukewarm water. Why not hot water? It'd be super painful. No, because they can't feel it. Actually, the opposite. So, like, as you get frostbite, your your sensory nerves. So, these patients can get severe trauma. Like, if you, they put their hands in like scalding water, they wouldn't even know it necessarily. Well, don't make it scalding. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. So, lukewarm water. So, just be careful. You're Why not, not warm water. Well, that's well, that's lukewarm. Or hot warm. water, but not hot burn your skin water. But how do you know if it's hot burn your skin water? Because I'm gonna put my hand in it first. Maybe you have frostbite. You don't know. No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm just saying. So, but again, just, just right, keeping you. that in mind. Be very yeah. careful with the temperature. What you also don't want to do is put like a like a heating pad on the hand. Mm-hmm. Because that direct heat, again, like they can't feel if it starts burning, if it's yeah, too yeah. much. You know what I mean? So keep that in mind. You also have to be careful with soaking too. You don't want to soak too long because then you're going to start to get like... Pruny. 
<laughs> make it pruney, but you're also going to get like, like desquamation of the tissue and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Which can lead to infection and stuff. So, yeah. you know, again, active and passive rewarming in the same context there. And then more advanced treatments, obviously, like you talked about, if it, if it's severe, they really have to a- end up going to burn center. They need debridement. They need amputation potentially and things like that. And just like burns, it can be hard to tell what level it is even more so with frostbite. You don't know how deep that freezing happened. So like it might look like it's first degree now, but in three days, all of a sudden the tissue's turning black. So you just have to be really, really careful with those things as well. So that's pretty much it from like a frostbite, frost nip. You know, like again, it's a continuum. Um, but understanding that pathophysiology of, the, of the, the freezing of the tissue and the electrolyte shifts in the vascular space and the microvascular damage Obviously, it makes sense why we will form blisters as we rewarm, why we need to be careful, like with a burn about circumferential and things like that. Because you can get that, like, um, like that, what is that, like that escarotomy, like they're that escar type of like constricting. It's, yeah, it starts, it starts band constricting anything downstream. So even if you didn't frost bite or burn, you know, you're mm-hmm. the tip of your finger, if it's higher up, cuts off the circulation and then right, you get a bunch right. of neuropathy issues. So another thing, too, just to add in there. So actually, like moving water. so like basically like having them put their fingers in like agitated water like yeah like 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 jets yeah like yeah like jets like they'll have these like jet baths they'll put them in it just like helps again with the circulation side of things too if you could do that probably can do that in the back of an ambulance i mean i could take a straw and i could just (laughs) blow bubbles the whole time (laughs) i could figure it out just agitate the water yourself i'm like no my brother told me this is what we do yeah yeah um but again with with frostbite you're getting actual cellular injury frost nip right right reversible non frost nip is like you're cool Frostbite would be like, what's cooler than being cool? Ice cold. <laughs> All right. You got On it. that note, we appreciate you guys tuning in again this week. Again, our sponsor today, CPR Enroll, class management software. If you're a CPR instructor in whether you're AHA, Red Cross, or American Safety and Health Institute, you need a robust class management system that's inexpensive, check out CPRenroll.com. Uh, they've got a lot of new features coming out uh, soon as well. If you want to listen to this uh, for credit, check out guardiancme.com. Get free 100% free capsi credits for listening to our podcast as well as other podcasts and other content that we put on there Uh, excited to have that launched Uh, again we appreciate you guys tuning in and we will see you next time stay sweet hey guys thanks so much for taking a listen uh if you are studying for the national registry exam we're here to help we have a national registry prep program uh to help you pass that exam check us out at guardiantestprep.com if you'd like continued education credits uh for listening to our podcast or watching this on youtube Follow us at guardiancme.com. 100% free CAPSI credits. Uh, No matter what state or country you're in, uh, we're here to help. So again, we thank you so much for listening. We hope you have a wonderful week.